0: Welcome to the latest Spotlight on IRT podcast, where our experts talk about best practices in the field of clinical development and innovations to improve today's clinical trials. This podcast is brought to you by ALMAC Clinical Technologies, the leader in interactive response technology. For more information, visit www.almacgroup.com. And now, here's your host, Matt Lowry.
1: Welcome everyone to the Spotlight on IRT podcast. I'm joined today by Kathy Kelly and Ellen Sargent from Advera Consulting. And we're going to be talking about TMF. And ladies, the first question I have is, should there be an IRT-specific TMF?
0: My answer to that would be no. At the end of the study, there should be only one TMF for the study. And that should include all the documents for the studies. However, trials that have more complex TMF arrangements because there's multiple parties involved, there may be times during the course of the study where documents that belong in the TMF are stored at the vendors until a certain point in the study where they're transferred into, like if you wanna call it the master TMF. Um, These procedures on Putting these documents together should be very well defined both in the contract and in the plans. Um, As far as following a reference model, the TMF reference model that's out there and has been used now for years is a good basis as a template to on what order to put your study documents in. However, the sponsor may have contract in an ETMF system or something like that and they may provide um, a structure for how the TMF should be handled. The important thing and this has come up in inspections that if documents for the TMF are held with different vendors until the end of the study there should be a very clear list maintained by the sponsor as to where the documents are maintained during the study and who is responsible. So if you as an IT IRT vendor are maintaining documents until the end of the study, a very clear list should be provided to the sponsor so that as to what documents and what data you are maintaining so that at the end of the study, they can merge that all together. This has come up in a lot, particularly in EMA inspections.
1: So if the IRT vendor holds their own documents from a, a contractual standpoint, should anything be present there in the contracts? And if so, what does that look like?
2: Well, the, count, the contract should specify where documents are held during and after the study and for how long. ICH E6 Section 8 is a reference, but it also states additional documents may be required based on the study. Example of documents that are essential but not listed in Section 8 uh, of ICH um, E6 uh, include any forms, checklists, reports that are generated following quality system pr- procedures, the QP certification of the IMP, assay method validation reports of the analysis of the IMP or the metabolites in clinical samples, the ATIMP traceability records, Documentation to demonstrate validation of trial-specific builds of computer systems. Then there's other IRT documentation that goes into the TMF that might be included but not limited to for clients and sponsors. The list of systems used for the study, the project plans, specification documents, documentations for testing and validation, user acceptance testing documents, change control documents, user management, training documentation, and this includes SOP training and project specific training, randomization schema and associated documents, site activation and management documentation, instruction and user manuals and guides, and a list of essential site staff members that worked on the project. A list of SOPs utilized for the system with versions used, And then anything with investigational product management, including activation, study management, shipment verification, emergency unblinding, if there was damaged IP, missing IP, and then all your data transfer documents. And then you have your site level documentation that needs to be filed. And these, again, are training documentation, user manuals, a list of the staff that has received access and training, documentation for each study subject in regards to the screening and randomization of that subject, and or any investigational product assignment, documentation around investigational product management such as the receipt, the ordering, or perhaps if there were temperature excursions, and if there was the return, if applicable, and any rescreening documentation.
1: So, how do you then recommend managing and filing the the IRT portion of the TMF?
2: Well, it's recommended that you should have a TMF plan outlining the filing structure, or if the sponsor agrees, the TMF reference model can be used for filing structure. A TMF plan, or in the contract, should specify the format, a QC process, and any transfer of documents to the TMF. In either case, whether the IRT portion of the TMF is transferred ongoing or during the study, or at the end of the study, the documents should be inspection ready at all times. There's also regulatory requirements for record retention. For example, an ICH document should be retained until or at least two years after the last approval of a marketed application in an ICH region, or until there are no pending or contemplated marketing
1: applications. So if we're going to file those around and put them away into the, the TMF, how do you handle the discrepancies that might arise? Uh, a lot of the trials have different components. So when you have a trial that has an IRT component, an EDC component, it's using other systems. Uh, I've seen trials with as many as seven different CROs working on them or various labs and imaging groups. How do you handle those type of discrepancies with respect to the TMF?
2: Well again, a TMF filing plan is really, really essential. That outlines the structure and what documents to be filed in the
1: TMF. Who owns that TMF? Plan. Is that a sponsor-driven activity or is that, should be, that be driven from the vendors?
2: Really it should be the sponsor. The sponsor owns the TMF. That sponsor has the responsibility to draft that um, and should be dis- uh, distributed to all of the vendors so that it is the same at all vendors.
0: Now they may have transferred the obligation of that to the CRO at that point in time and the CRO may be managing the TMF during the course of the study but ultimately as we all know you can transfer some duties but you don't transfer your ownership so the sponsor then ultimately still owns the TMF at the end of the study.
2: There should also be a QC process that defines any discrepancies so they should be addressed immediately. Issues can be discussed and solutions agreed upon also at team meetings uh, with documented minutes. And the sponsor, as Ellen just said, is ultimately the owner of the TMF and should have the final determination when there are issues and discrepancies.
1: So when you do start to reconcile that, you're putting together the TMF, it seems like it's a, this massive file. It's a very daunting task. Where do you recommend folks start on this? Do you start chronologically? Do you just pick a vendor and say, we're going to start here or pick an aspect? How do you start?
0: Well, all the outputs should be provided to the sponsor. So this is an area that's often lacking during inspections. So particularly around the IRT area, you want to make sure that all your metadata is included into the TMF. Um, you have specific types of queries that are created for the study. You want to make sure that you have documentation of all those queries. Uh, audit trails are very important. We've, we've talked about that. Um, and then the history and the status of changes to users and their access rights. That is one of the areas where I think that there are more observations and findings. That clear list of who had access to the systems, when they had access, and when that access was revoked from that system. Um, that's often an area that's lacking during
1: inspections. Would you recommend that that type of information comes directly from the system, or should that be something that you can use user trackers or the communications for?
0: It does it, whatever is the most accurate. You okay. want to make it whatever is the most accurate. So if it's coming from the system is the most accurate way of obtaining the information um, then you should use that. If you're creating a spreadsheet the only thing um, about using spreadsheets is often these things are maintained in Excel spreadsheets and they have no audit trail to them so anybody could go in there and manipulate that data and it's not saying that you can't use an Excel spreadsheet but then my recommendation on using an Excel spreadsheet is print that Excel spreadsheet have somebody sign it And then you have a PDF of that, because the PDF cannot change. So at least you have some hardcore data that shows this is the users that were there. We haven't
1: changed them. Nobody can manipulate this data. Do you feel the same way about digital signatures on data that's going into the TMF, if it's implemented correctly? As long as you're... I mean, the
0: agencies really don't have trouble with electronic signatures, as long as they're... Valid electronic signatures, so if you have all the due diligence and the validation and all the information that you need behind that electronic signature, there is nothing wrong with electronic signatures. The other things that you want to be careful too is the description of the format for the delivery of the complete database to the sponsor. That is one of the things that really needs to be specified. Um, and that specification of what the deliver was going to be in the format should also be a document that's placed. Usually that's in some kind of plan that is, that's put together. Um, and you want to have documentation of information provided to the investigators. So whatever, you know, your user manuals or instructions to the investigator, that becomes part of the trial master file too. So from an IRT vendor perspective, most of your documents are going to be on a higher, like we call it, study-wide file, so that it doesn't—it's not it's not site-specific and it crosses all the study. But then there are some country-specific files. So if you were doing drug supply and you were in charge of labeling for the drug supply, the translation of each of those labels would go into the individual country files for that, you know, for the different languages. Uh, import-exportation, any kind of import-exportation licenses or or documentation that you need it, that would go into those individual country files also. So you need to, the way to look at how to make sure your documents are in, in place is, what did you need that goes across the whole entire study? Make sure you have all those in place. What do you need for individual countries, including translations? then make sure you have all those in place. And then what do the individual sites, if there's anything specific that is for an individual site, um, make sure that those are in place and you have them for the site files.
1: One of the questions I I, want to kind of follow up on then is, should there be divisions in the TMF between blinded and unblinded data? Usually
0: there is, yes, absolutely. You want to make sure that if you're filing any data, That is unblinded that that is a restricted file and that's oftentimes where vendors will retain that unblinded data until the end of the study just to prevent any accidental unblinding and that should be outlined in some kind of plan and in an agreement and in the contract so that it's very clear where unblinded data will stay and then at the end of the study, when the study's unblinded, then you can move that unblinded data into the regular TMF. That's one, a good
1: point. One of the things I, I wanted to also ask about is when we start talking about data, so much of our data anymore is electronic. You know, gone seem to be the days of the giant paper binders that would fill up four or five, six boxes in a room as your TMF where everybody mm-hmm. had handwritten data and... Are there specific considerations that you've seen that occur when it comes to utilizing an ETMF, or is ETMF kind of now considered the standard?
2: Um, ETMF is really is becoming the standard, but um, it may not be utilized for some of the smaller phase one studies. Um, but if the study is being conducted under the EU um, competent authorities. You need to understand that there are some definite um, considerations that you need to um, be aware of and make sure that your etmf is acceptable to those regulatory authorities um, and that you your etmf meets these requirements Um, and they are all these requirements are described in directive uh, 2005 28 ec Um, And they're also in the Related Guidance uh, Volume 10 of the Rules Governing Medicinal Products in the European Union. Um, That means that the ETMF should be validated. Uh, The processes for transferring original TMF documents to an ETMF or other medium should be robust uh, and has been validated to prevent failure of the transfer of the original TMF without loss. In other words, you make sure that one document to the other document is complete, that there is um, uh, demonstrates one-to-one mapping between uh, the content of the original TMF to the ETMF. There are also um, a folder structure uh, and folder uh, and document naming conventions should allow ease and identification of the TMF structure. EMA and uh, MHRA have specific, uh, inspectors have specific documentation about when they are reviewing your ETMF. Um, they have specific guidelines about how they want to review the uh, ETMF and identification of the different sections. Access. How will the vendor documents be loaded into the ETMF and by whom? Um, the documentation of the QC process and who will perform this QC. Uh, determination of final reconciliation process and access by the regulatory inspections during an inspection. And then any transfer of the ownership of the data or the documentation shall be how it should be documented. And the new owner shall assume responsibility for data retention and archiving in accordance with Article 17 of the Directive. And when we're
1: looking at those ETMFs, um, what does a QC look like on an ETMF? Is it verifying that the data is there and it's labeled correctly, or is there more in-depth?
0: No, it's, it's basically um, ensuring that the data, the document or the data is there, that it's been checked, that it's complete and correct. Um, one of the hard things about that that you often come up is, how do you document the QC of it? so that can be done in certain ways but the qc should definitely be documented so whether it's just somebody just um you know doing a printout of the index and checking things off and saying yes i checked these and they're okay and signing and dating it whether it's a formal document or form that each company fills out but one of the things that again, could be an inspection finding, is that your plan says you're going to QC documents on a quarterly basis. You said you did it. There's no documentation that you did it. Or the documentation doesn't show what it was that you QC'd. So that's something that needs to be put in place.
1: How much oversight should the PI have? There's been such a focus in the regulations on PI's involvement in the study and the PI owning the data. Does the PI have any responsibility to the TMF reviews or is that a a delineation there that the data has been collected, the PI is aware of it, they don't need to be as focused on the TMF?
0: The PI isn't so much focused on the TMF because the PI is focused on their individual, um, they call them investigator site files. So they are more in charge to make sure that their individual investigator site files are current and up to date and that their subject source data is current and up-to-date. And then usually it's the monitor's responsibility to make sure that any documentation that is at the investigator site file is then transferred, copied, or whatever, taken to the TMF.
1: So, coming back to the IRT, should the TMF contain then reports and data from the IRT? Or is it acceptable for it to be stored elsewhere?
2: Well ideally the uh, TMF should all be in one place as we talked about earlier however if documents are to be stored in different locations this needs to be documented and it can be documented in a, um, a filing plan or it can be documented in a contract Um, the contract could clearly state and indicate where these documents for the TMF are filed and it also should document the retention period.
1: What about the audit trails coming out of the IRT?
2: All data should have audit trails and must be filed. Um, the EMA and the MHRA are particularly interested in reviewing audit trails during inspections. Um, there is a clinical trials regulations um, for archiving of clinical trial master files that requires that any alteration of the content of the trial master file shall be traceable, and the TMF should be provided for document identification, version history, search, and retrieval.
1: So. About the the QC, we talked a little bit before about QCing of the TMF to make sure it's there. When should the TMF be scrutinized and QC'd and checked? Is this an ongoing process or can it wait until the study is is more near completion because that's when it's going to start to really pick up the, the bulk of the documentation?
0: I always recommend that QC should be done on an ongoing basis and I think that it should be at set time points, you know, whatever that is. Minimally, in my mind, it should be quarterly. Um, some companies can do it more often and that's fine if you have the personnel to do it, but definitely you don't want to wait until the end of the study because you have turnover or staff documentation could get lost. Um, you may not be able to retrieve some of the documentation, particularly if it's paper, So definitely you want to make sure that you're doing ongoing QC um, of the trial master file to ensure that you have all your documentation.
1: One of the questions that I always really like to ask here is where have you seen pitfalls in the TMF overall when we talk trial master file where have you seen those pitfalls where people just it's a it's a swing and a miss.
0: Well, I think, I think you can classify them into two big categories. One, it's incomplete, you don't have the documentation you need, and the other one is the documents aren't filed in the proper location. So upon inspection, it looks like you're missing documentation when actually it's not filed where it should be, and therefore you're being cited for not having a document that you actually do have, but you just can't find it because it's in the wrong place um some of the other concerns um, that have been noted lately is the lack of sponsor sign-offs on documentation particularly when it has to go with change control so you want to make sure that you have um, all of your sponsor related sign-off documentation is complete and that it's done in a timely fashion because that's the other issue if you do change control and you're having the sponsor sign off on it five months after you already did the change that's not you know great they signed it off but it was way too late that they signed it off Um, you also want to make sure that you have get all of your missing documentation and um, some of the other areas are lack of the sponsor or the i.t staff sign off on all the study plans and manuals you want to make sure that you have both the vendor and the sponsor sign off on those Lack of training documentation for site and IT staff. Um, IRT staff has been noted. Um, Undocumented study deviations. That's another area that sometimes inspectors will find that there were deviations to plans or procedures or SOPs that are undocumented and then you'll get cited for that. Um, And then ensuring that data privacy and data security has been maintained. Um, particularly around the randomization and the drug area and then make sure that you have very clear documentation of all your data transfers. Um, I did come across a critical finding from MHRA just to give you an example about TMF filing and it had to do with electronic systems. So the TMF that was presented as a paper TMF for inspection However, the TMF did not contain all the essential documents required to enable the reconstruction of the trial events and demonstrate compliance with the regulations and the organization's own quality systems. In particular, there were several essential documents were retained within different electronic systems which were not defined as part of the TMF to which the inspectors were not provided direct access. So that just shows you that the TMF should have all the documentation for the study and you should very clearly list all the electronic systems used and then expect that those inspectors might want to have access to those systems during an inspection.
1: One of the questions I have then is Where do you draw the line on what an essential document is? Because you could really blow that up to be everything.
0: Well, I think one of the things you have to take a step back, particularly in the IRT world, is decide what do you have electronically that you have already listed in the database, and then what gets printed out, which is repetitive. Anything that you're printing out, an example, the randomization schema or the randomization... Um, assignment at a site, often the site prints those documents out and they place them in the subject's chart. You're not going to collect those documents again and put them in the TMF because your IRT database has all that information. Now, and eventually there should be some reconciliation between the drug assignment and the and the patient and the patient's, you know, user identification that was used during that trial. So those repetitive documents you don't want. I think it's very important in the beginning of the study when they're putting together the trial master file plan or whatever terminology they use to call it, is to decide which documents do you have electronically which ones do you not, and which ones do you need to collect to make sure that they have inclusion into the trial master file. Um, Again, anything electronically, usually you don't want to repeat, you know, because it's duplication. So um, it's deciding which of those documentation that you cannot get electronically do you need to have collected and put into the TMS.
1: Great. Well, ladies, thank you very much for the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Here's the main takeaway that I have for this we never really know every question an inspector will ask. Yes, we have an agenda. Yes, we know the studies that they want to cover most of the time. And yes, we have an idea of what they're going to be looking at. But we don't know the specific questions themselves. Most importantly, the inspector is going to look at the TMF. That's a given. And we have often gotten requests from clients for items that were missing or not filed accordingly in their TMF. This often leads to delays, potential findings for the TMF not being complete. And it's important to remember, as Kathy said, we need to have one TMF at the end of the study. That doesn't mean that you can't have placeholders or have agreements in place with your vendors, but you need to know where those items are and you have to have consideration for what's being stored at the vendor. The TMF template is a great starter to know what you need, and if you aren't going to store it, then you need to make sure you're being supported fully. And if you're not, you may have some work to do. Again, a huge thanks to Ellen Lytle Sargent and Kathy Kelly from Edvara Consulting for stopping back in to have a chat regarding their experiences around making sure the TMF is complete. Until next time, I'm Matt Lowry. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to the Spotlight on IRT podcast, brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies. If you have a question for our host or would like to suggest a topic for our next podcast, please visit our podcast page on Almac Clinical University at university.almacgroup.com.